seated. Thank you, wonderful musicians. Thank you for your ministry. We love you and appreciate you. And uh, as I was thinking about the fact that our Richmond Hill Solid Rock Church of the Nazarene is celebrating their 10th anniversary, our other church that we started just three years ago is celebrating and will be celebrating their third anniversary next weekend. So congratulations to Pastor Yanni. And <laughs> who's that woo-woo guy? Or <laughs> congratulations to our Connect Church of the Nazarene. Amen. We are thankful for the part that we've had here at Rosewood Church in helping to start several churches across the years. And... This is Reverend Dr. Tina Pitamber, and she has been the minister of the Solid Rock Community Church for the full 10 years. She had been a part of our church, had gone to seminary, went before then went to University of Toronto, and uh, has pursued her studies since then. And we thank the Lord for you, Pastor Tina, and we look forward to God's word at God's time. Amen. Amen. Blessings on you. All right. Well, welcome to all of you. I'm on green. Is it, is it on? Oh, it's not on. Okay. Thank you. That's great. How are you enjoying the weather today? Good. Good? You're, uh, you're really happy to have this weather and Considering all that's going on with North Carolina and Hurricane Florence and the big typhoon in the Philippines, we need to commit everyone into prayer and uh, also to appreciate the weather that we have. But aren't you happy that you're in the house of God tonight? There's always something special about being in the presence of God. And uh, this morning we had a wonderful service, and tonight we're having a great service as well. And we are going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 3 in your Bibles. And the title of the sermon is, Will, Will You Do the Exchange? Will You Do the Exchange? Um, there used to be a show, I think it might be still on, I'm not sure, that it was called What Not to Wear. How many of you know that show? Have you watched that show before? Okay, I used to watch it all the time when I had, when I had time. <laughs> and so um, on this show, it was an interesting show where people who didn't really have a fashion sense or style um, would be criticized or wanting help from their family members. And so their family members would actually tape them uh, doing different things in the home and outside the home. And then there came the time where they were being exposed on the show about their fashion sense. And if they wanted to be mentored, they could be on the show. And the mentors, there normally was two that would help them to learn more about how to um, pick clothes that fit your style, fit your height, and different things to look for, different colors. And the whole purpose of the show was to teach you what to wear and what not to wear. And so that's why it's called What Not to Wear. And when you'd watch the show, sometimes the transition was easy for some candidates, but for other people, it wasn't always easy because there was a time in the show where they actually went through your wardrobe. So they would go through your closet and they would, the, the mentors would say, you know, keep this, throw this away, disregard this. This is not in style anymore. It's not modern. And uh, it was hard for the candidates because sometimes they wanted to keep their clothes. They, they loved the clothes because maybe it had sentimental value. 
they like that old raggedy sweater or pair of jeans and they only want to wear, wear it until it like totally was dead or no longer in style. And so, I mean, actually I do that in the house too. I have like an old t-shirt, old pants, but in, on the show they were criticized for keeping these things. Some of them did not want to uh, buy new clothes, so they didn't want to spend the money. But in the end, when they would go shopping, even though they would go kicking and screaming shopping, uh, when they would see themselves in the mirror and get the makeover done, some of them actually felt better about themselves, it would boost their confidence, and they saw themselves differently. And so, I want you to think about the show as we think about this word in Zechariah 3, because in the Bible there is a story that talks about exchanging our clothes, but in a deeper sense, not physical clothes, but clothes in a spiritual sense. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to read Zechariah 3, verses uh, 1 to 10. And here's what God's word says in the word. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I've taken away your sin. I will put a rich garment on you. Then I, then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. And while the angel Lord stood by, the angel Lord gave charge to Joshua and said, This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways, keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high, high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. See the stones I have set in front of you, Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to this word, we are thankful that this word has power. We are thankful for those who are here. We are thankful that when we come to the house of God, we are expecting to hear from you. And Lord, we bring our faith and our expectation to you that this not be just another time in church, this be a time of encountering God in a special way. Amen. Many of us have different things going on in our life. Some of us are dealing with some heavy burdens, but we thank you in the name of Jesus that you will lift every burden, that you will help us in our time of need, and that you know our need before we even come to you. The word of God says that before they call, I will answer, and while those are hearing, I will hear. And so we are thankful that your word says that, that you know every need, every petition, every word that is spoken out of our tongue. So in the name of Jesus, as we look to this word, to hear and to, to learn from you, that you will teach us and help us, and we will have a receptive heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in this word, we learn in the, this book, in the uh, book of Zechariah, that Zechariah is a prophet of the Lord, and he prophesied and was a prophet to the Israelites. And you will read in the Bible that the Israelites um, were living in Jerusalem, and then they, um, unfortunately, because of their sin, the Babylonians came and took captivity of them. So they were captives in a time. And now in this book, the Israelites are now allowed to go back to Jerusalem to build the walls and to build the temple. 
And so we have what's called a remnant. A remnant is a devote, the devoted Jews, those who remained um, in pure worship towards God, and they were allowed to go back. And in this vision, Prophet Zechariah is seeing something. And in chapter 3, we are, we are reading what the vision looks like. And so Zechariah saw Joshua, who is a priest, standing in front of the Lord, and Satan is standing on his right side, the Bible says, to accuse him. We need to understand who is Satan. Satan was created by God, was an angel, had the ability to do many great things, but because he no longer wanted to be on the team of God, he rebelled against the Lord, he became what's called a fallen angel. And we learn in the word that there were other angels that fell with him, and they, they want to basically, they're roaming around the world, Satan and these fallen angels, we call demonic spirits, that roam around the world to create chaos in our lives and to, to try to tempt us to go away from the Lord and walk in a different direction. Satan is never on our side, and he always wants us to go against the Lord, to curse God, and not, e not even have us believe in Jesus Christ, because he knows that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he knows that Jesus has all power. 1 Peter 5 says that we need to be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, see, we have an enemy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. The Bible says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. And so his goal is to always make us go against God, not to believe in the Lord and to tempt us to go in the wrong direction. Also, his name means accuser. And that's very fitting in this story if you think about it because the Bible says he is standing at the right side of Joshua looking to accuse him. And I want you to remember this today as he looks to accuse Joshua that Satan is also looking to accuse you and me. He puts voices of accusations in our mind. And this is what he was doing when Zechariah was having the vision. If you're taking notes, Satan will accuse you and me of our sin. And again, the word says, He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. When you think about your life, most of us would say that we have made mistakes in our life. True or not true, right? We have. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 10 says the following, If you break one law, you've broken them all. And so, if you've lied, you have sinned. If you have stolen something, you have sinned. If we have taken the Lord's name, we have sinned. And the Bible is clear as to what is right and what is wrong. Um, you know, done with the things of people saying that what is right is what you think. The Bible is clear as to what is right and what is wrong. There is no in-between. Amen? And we have to know the, the Word of God. If we know the Word of God, then we'll know what is right and what is wrong. What is also true is that we don't keep the law. Each one of us has broken the law. We have sinned. And so Satan goes to God and stands before the Lord and says, look, she's a sinner. He's a sinner. And he accuses us of our mistakes. He goes to God, who's the judge, and he's like a prosecutor and says, she's a sinner. He's a sinner. Don't you remember what he did 10 years ago? Don't you remember what she did five years ago? Don't you remember what she did last week, this morning? And all he does before God is accuse you and me of our sins. Satan accuses and states what is obvious before the Lord. But here's what's so great about this vision and about this story in the Bible. God responds to Satan. Okay, Satan, you've had your time to say what you need to say. And he says in verse 2, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man, Joshua, a burning stick snatched from the fire? And this is number two today. God is rebuking Satan or rebukes him and his accusations against you and me. Praise God. And in this story, you have to understand, Joshua doesn't just represent himself. He actually represents the entire nation of Israel. And so the Lord says, I rebuke you, Satan. And he says it twice. In case you didn't hear me, I rebuke you again. I have chosen Jerusalem. God has the power to rebuke Satan because he is God. He is God. And he says to Satan, I rebuke you from advancing over Joshua. Now, the Lord can regulate what Satan can and cannot do. If you think about the story of Job, Job was a blameless man, a good man, an innocent man. And uh, one day, the Bible talks about how Satan was roaming around the earth, and he's talking to the Lord, and he says, you know, well, Job only worships you because you have a hedge around, worship, a hedge, hedge around Job. So he only loves you, he only worships you because you keep blessing him. And that was true. Job was highly blessed. And so God says, okay, you can do whatever you want to him, but don't kill him. And so Job goes through a series of awful and painful experiences. And here's the good news today. Job didn't falter. He still worshiped God. He still worshiped God. But Satan had to go to, to the Lord to, to know what he could and cannot do because God is more powerful than Satan. And in this story, we, were, we recall that Joshua is being accused, and Satan is always accusing you and me. There are other situations in the Bible. Satan wanted to destroy Simon Peter, sifting him like wheat in Luke chapter 22. But Jesus prayed for Peter, and Satan could not touch him. Another example you may not know about is in Jude chapter 1, verse 9. Satan and the archangel Michael are disputing over the body of Moses. And here's what the archangel says to Satan. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And then in Revelation 12, 10, when the end time is going to happen, the Bible talks again about Satan, the accuser. And it says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So there will be an end to the accusations. Praise God. Amen? So here's what we know. Satan accuses, but God pleads our case. Amen? Amen? God is not waiting. You see in this Bible, it doesn't say that God waited a day or 20 days or a year to basically intercede for us. It says that God responds right away and says, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke your accusations against my daughter or my son. And that's why the Bible says in Psalm 46, 1, that God is our help, our ever-present help in time and trouble because he's always there. He's always ready to intercede for us. He's always working for us, not against us. Sometimes we're going through a situation and we're like, God, why is this happening? You have to remember, we have to remember that God is always working for our benefit and our good Amen. because he's a good God. Amen. And Satan always makes it seem like he's not, but he is. This story tells us that the Lord is working on our behalf, and he's taking up our case. Because here's the truth tonight. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. So he tells us lies all the time. All the time, Satan is telling us lies. But here's the truth tonight. When Satan goes to God with our case, 
with our file of sin and, and mistakes. He's actually telling God the truth. It is an accurate report. We are sinners. We make mistakes. We do not keep the law. In fact, the Bible says as we sin, it gives us death. The penalty is death. We deserve to be punished. We, des we don't deserve God's love. We don't. But here's what the word says. God says, I have chosen Jerusalem. I rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? This is number three. Despite your sin, God chooses us and he rescues us. Amen. He chooses us and he rescues us. And so God says to Satan, look, I have chosen Jerusalem. You know what this really means? I want you to think about it like this. This is the best analogy I can think of. Some of you are parents, you have children. Some of you are grandparents, you have grandkids. And sometimes your kids are your grandkids. Sometimes they scream, sometimes they yell. Sometimes they do have an anger problem or they're acting up in school. Sometimes the school will call the parent or the daycare will call the parent and say, you know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your child is acting up, they're not listening, they're being disobedient. And, uh, you know, your child doesn't do the right things. And so you get off the phone and you say to yourself, you know, you're upset or you're frustrated. But even though your kid might not be doing what he or she's supposed to do, you still love them, don't you? You still want them. You still believe in them because this is your kid. They are a product of you. And God is saying to Satan, I have chosen Jerusalem. These are my kids. These are my people, so you need to back off. You need to understand that these are, this is my problem. It is not your problem. And so God says to Satan, I've chosen Jerusalem, and he stands up for the land and stands up for his people and us. And 1 Peter 2.9 says it really great. It says, but we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession of people belonging to God so that we can declare the praises of God who brought us out of darkness into light. So God says to Satan, these are my people. And secondly, he says, isn't this man like a burning stick, stat, a burning stick snatched from the fire? You know, what is God talking about here? You need to imagine this for a bit. If you think about a burning stick in a fire, a burning stick in a fire is just going to deteriorate, deteriorate, and turn black and eventually become consumed unless somebody pulls it out of the fire and takes it out. And we are like, he's saying to Satan, don't you know that I know that Joshua is like a burning stick in a fire? Don't you know I know these people that you're calling sinners and accusing them that they are a burning stick in a fire because we are a burning stick because we are sinners. And as we go deeper and deeper in our sin, we are being consumed by our sin. But thanks be to God that he pulls us out like a rescue worker or a firefighter and takes us out of the fire. Praise God. And so we are being rescued by our God because he loves us. If it wasn't for God, we wouldn't be where we are today. But we have a God who does that. And so God says to Satan, these are my people. Back off. And secondly, I have rescued them. So back off again. You know, in the, as, a, as a judge, you can say that, right? And so the Lord rescues us and helps us. And how does he do this? Uh, the Bible gives us a good um, illustration here again. In verse 3, it says, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, and he stood before the angel. And the angel says to those who were standing around, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. 
and I will put fine garments on you. And then put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, clothe him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. And so here's the beautiful picture that we're getting in this vision is that we all wear filthy clothes. And the filthy clothes represents our sin. We are sinners. And the angel tells the other people standing there, take off the filthy clothes. And then put on fine garments. Do you know what the fine garments are? It's now we are clothed in righteousness. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new self and, be, and to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And it says, give him a new turban. A turban was part of the high priest's garments. And on the front of, the tur- on front of it, it would say, on a gold plate, holiness unto the Lord. So the visual we're getting here is Joshua takes, take off the filthy clothes, put on the new garments, and put on the turban. That is God is saying, I remove your sin, and I give you righteousness and holiness and right standing before the Lord. This reminds you and me that there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You cannot do good works to earn your salvation. Yes, it is good to tithe. Yes, it is good to donate. Yes, it is good to serve. Yes, it's good to cut the grass for your neighbor. All these are good things, but good works do not make us right before God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace we are saved through faith. This is not of ourselves, but a gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. And God says it this way, and God made it this way because he wants all the glory. He wants all the credit. He does not want us to say that I am the reason I am where, where I am today, that I am the reason that I have this job or I have this home. He wants us to recognize that he is God and God alone and that we have everything because of the Lord. And so number four today we need to realize is Jesus saves us from our sin by grace. All you have to do now as we sit here and think about this word is we just have to receive the gift. God is saying to you and me, I want to give you a new robe. I want to give you a new turban. I want to take your filthy clothes. God says to you and me today, I want you to walk away from this life of disobedience. I want you to walk away from this life that is holding you back. The things that you thought because we're being deceived by Satan was true, but actually are lies. I want you to walk away from the things that have scarred your life. I want you to receive peace in your life if you have been hurt or mistreated, and we can receive that by forgiving someone who has hurt us. God wants us to start new, to start fresh. And he says to you and me, will will you receive what I have for you? And God is saying to you and me, there is no cost to what I'm giving you. It is free. It is the gift of God. If you want it today, then do the exchange. Receive your new robe, your new hat, and receive God's grace. Amen? Because God is ready to give it. Now, how do you do this? Now, in the Bible, talks about, you know, taking off your filthy clothes, but how do you really do this? Well, we simply have to say to God, Lord, I'm a sinner. That's confession. I want to change. That's repentance. And I believe you died for my sins and rose on the third day. That's accepting the work of the Lord. And I want the Holy Spirit to come in me and to change me, to sanctify me through and through. And I want to give my life completely to God. That's entire sanctification. And so this is what we talk, this is what we call grace, God's goodness, God's compassion on us. It does not cost you anything 
to receive the forgiveness of the Lord. But it costs God something. You know that real love costs something, right? If you're in a relationship with somebody and they do anything for you, they don't really love you, right? If you're a parent, you know real love is waking up in the morning, changing their diaper, or taking them to school, right? <laughs> if you're in a marriage and he or she always says, oh, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do this, I'm going to fix this, and they never do it, then they're just talkers. Real love is sacrifice, right? And we talk about this all the time when we marry people. We, we tell them. Um, and then it's funny because as pastors, we'll get phone calls later on and be like, we talked about this in the counseling session, do you remember? But we serve a good God because he always keeps his word. And God knows we cannot put this garment on on ourselves. And we cannot put this turban on by ourselves. We are a burning stick in the fire. But God's mercy is so great. And this is the story of the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned, and every person after Adam and Eve was born with a sinful nature. And we all have this tendency to sin, to sin, to sin without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit. And as a result of this, we are wearing filthy clothes. Without Jesus or the Holy Spirit, we are wearing rags, and our rags are getting worse. They're becoming holes, and they're becoming dirty. And without Jesus Christ, we will just sin and get worse and worse. Like on a Monday, we'll lie to somebody. On a Tuesday, we'll gossip about somebody. On a Wednesday, we'll watch the wrong show. Or on a Thursday, we'll be envious. And on and on it goes if we don't know Jesus Christ or have the Holy Spirit in our life. We cannot do what God is calling us to do or be what God wants us to be on our own. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. And done with all the different theories out there and ideologies and all the things that are going on that's under spiritualism, if you don't know God and you don't know Jesus, we are lost. Amen. We need God. Yes. And Satan takes your life story and he takes your file and he says to God, Tina is not worth it. She is unworthy because she's a sinner. Rosewood Church members are not worth it. They have broken the system. They are sinners. And according to God, in order to see our case be settled, blood has to be shed. In a court system, when you go to the judge and they do all the, the, the final proceedings and so forth, a penalty has to be paid, right? Money or jail time or death, depending on where you are living. And in God's world, in the spiritual world, Blood has to be shed for God to be pleased. And so in the, Old in the Old Testament, they were required to bring a lamb. The priest would bring a lamb and kill it and shed the blood so that God was appeased by the sin of the people. So you can imagine that every time they went around the tabernacle, they had to bring this lamb and to kill the lamb to appease God. But here's how the story of this chapter ends. In verse 8, it says, Listen, high priest Joshua. The next slide, please. You and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I, God says, am going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I've set in front of you, Joshua. There will be seven eyes, and on that one stone I will engrave an inscription on it, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. When God says, I'm going to send my servant the branch, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. And when he says, I'm going to remove the sin of this land in a single day, what is he talking about? He says, when Jesus dies on the day of crucifixion, all of sin will be dealt with. That's why Jesus says, it is finished. And so what God is referring to here is that God has made a way for you and me 
to no longer to be guilty, to no longer to be condemned, to no longer to be in shame because Jesus is the lamb that was slain. That's why we don't come to the church anymore and bring lambs to be slain because Jesus was the final and perfect and ultimate lamb. Amen? Amen. And so the Bible also says in this one act when Jesus died, all of sin was taken care of. So I say to you today, will you be like Joshua in this story? Will you accept your makeover? Will you accept the new clothes that Jesus wants to give you? And accept what is given to you. And walk in freedom. Walk in hope. Walk in faith. No more guilt. No more condemnation. No more pain about the past and the things you have done. God stands before us and is rebuking Satan. No more voices of accusations in your life. If God has forgotten or has blotted out all your sins... Why do we carry this weight of guilt with us in our life? Jesus died for that. It's done. That was not an easy price. That was a high price Jesus paid. On the What Not to Wear show, when people would find out that their family and friends were videotaping, initially they would be mad. Like, why would you do that? Because they felt like they were being exposed. But then they realized, as the show would continue, they realized that their family and friend did this out of love because their family and friends wanted a better life for them in, the, in a close sense, like a professional sense. It's the same with our God. His love is why he stands against Satan. His love is why he takes away our sin. His love is why he died for you and me. And I don't know about you, but when I was preparing for this sermon... I realized how deep God's love is for you and me. Amen. Amen. That I have a God who's my judge, and I am wrong, and I should die. But because blood had to be shed, my blood should be shed. But we have a God who is also judge and also our Savior. Amen. And he stood in our place. It's what we call substitution. Yes. You and I should be dead, but in Christ we live. You see, God made a way when we thought there was no way. Because Satan, Satan had an accurate case to bring to the Lord. We are sinners. Blood has to be shed. And so God in his mercy says, shed my blood. Shed my blood. Not theirs. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. He loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. You are an amazing God. That you want to give us new clothes. And you want to give it freely. And you're my judge, but you're my savior. I don't really understand this love, but I know that it's beyond comprehension. If this is the kind of love that God has for us, how much more can we give to other people? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking in this place. Thank you that you love us so much.
And now, Lord, we just open the altar for a time of praise, a time of love, a time of worship. You know, whether it's in our seats or here at the altar, we praise your holy name. I'm free from all of my sin. I don't have to be in shackles anymore because Jesus died for that. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for breaking yokes in our life. And thank you for allowing us to realize how precious your blood is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes. Amen. Amen.